0: Ten and a half years ago, God invited us on a journey. As a journey of faith, as a family, we stepped together. And over this last decade, we've seen God do unbelievable things. And three and a half years ago, we, we took a very significant step as a church family. We kind of labeled it the big journey. And it was, it was built on three foundational statements that we serve a big God. A big God. Somebody, uh, Gloria, just told me during the welcome. It didn't even hit me until she said it. You know, we did a 40-day prayer journey. You know, we got our TCO on day 40. We serve a big God. Tom, we should have done a 20-day prayer journey. Where is Tom? We serve a big God. And we also said he, he was at work in a big world. God is alive and at work all over the world. And the third premise was he's invited us into a big life of joining in what he's doing. Being a part of the activity of God globally. And as we began to take this significant next step, we knew that after 10 years of moving around and being in different locations, it was time for us to take the step of building a permanent campus that could be a launching pad. Not a campus that was a, a finish line. But a campus, a facility that could be a tool and a a launching pad for continuing to impact our city and the nations for the glory and honor of God. And when we took that step, we said there were two parts to it. First, there was a short-term step. If you were with us back at Pebble, you remember when we talked about this short-term step. The short-term step was Silverado High School. We'd begun to meet with the faculty here and the leadership, and they'd open the doors graciously for us to begin to meet here, hold our services here, and prepare for the the ultimate step of having a campus. And for the last three and a half years, we've been here, and what a blessing it has been. How many of you have become a part of our fellowship since we've been at Silverado High School? Let me see your hand. Just hold it up for a minute. Look around you. A lot of hands. God's connected a lot of people since we've been here. That was the short-term step, but then we said also there was a long-term step, the building of a campus, and that's the step we're getting ready to take tonight and next weekend as we move to 850 East Cactus Avenue.
1: So today, really, what we want to do is we want to look back at some of the lessons that God has taught us as a church during the three-year time period that we've been at Silverado High School. I don't know if you caught it on the video, but since we've been here, we have walked through 23 different teaching series here on this campus. That's over 150 different sermons. And because of our three service format, we've actually done over almost 500 worship services in this gym. That's significant. And every week as we've gathered, uh, there's always one primary component, one, one thing we do every weekend when we gather. And that is take the Word of God and unpack what it says to us. That's one of the primary ways that God speaks to us as a church is through the public teaching of His Word. For some of you here today, you came to hope because you had a desire to be fed by the Word of God and because of the teaching ministry. That's here. For some of you, you've actually came to Christ while sitting under the teaching here at this church. And that's significant. We value and prioritize the Word of God. And we're thankful that every week as we gather as a faith family, we can look at what God's Word says Mm. and respond to it. But here's the beautiful part. I'm so excited about this. I don't know if you know this or not. It affects way more than just what happens here at Silverado High School. We were doing some statistics and some research this week. Did you know that God really has given us a global platform to teach the word of God? I looked at the past six months and through the vehicle of our website, the sermons we put on there every weekend. Did you know that in the past six months our messages have been downloaded in 89 different countries all over the world? Some of you just had an aha moment. You didn't know that. What we're doing here is so much bigger than just us. And as I look down the list and see Japan, Saudi Arabia, Canada, I mean literally all over the globe. Some countries I can't even pronounce. As I read down the list, there have been over 5,000 downloads from countries that register as unknown. Here's what that means. That means that that place in the world is either classified or there's not a country code that we can register for that part of the world. God is allowing us to speak into the lives of believers in classified areas and in remote areas that don't even register all over the world. That's significant. And we get a chance to be a part of that. Everything God is doing locally is always connected to what he is doing globally. And as we make this transition next week, here's what I want to assure you. That we are going to continue to prioritize the Word of God and hold the Scriptures in the highest esteem. And let me give you a couple of reasons why, very quickly, and then we're going to jump in today. One of the reasons why at Hope we value the Word of God is because of what the Word is. Because of what the Word is. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, here's what the Bible says. It says that all Scripture is inspired by God. Yeah. That word inspired is a powerful word. It's actually a compound word. It's the word God and breathed put together. So really, here's what 2 Timothy's telling us. All Scripture, everything in this book, has been breathed by God. It's been inspired by him. There is no other book that is like this book. It is living and it is active. It is set apart. It's not just another set of writings. It's not just something else to put on the shelf. This is God's love letter to humanity. And we should hold it in the highest esteem. We value the word of God because of what the word is. But also because of what the word does. Every week, in our time with God, or through the public teaching of the Scripture, as we digest this book, it is profitable for us. God uses His Word to expose the sin in our life and conform us more into the image of Jesus. That's why every weekend when we finish our time of teaching, we have a time to respond. Because we know as we look at the Word of God, it in some way, shape, or form applies to every person who's in the room. We emphasize and we value God's Word now, and we will continue to do it in the future because of what the Word is and because of what the Word does.
0: So obviously, you can tell what we're doing this weekend is a little bit different. This is a weekend we didn't know we were going to have. We thought we were next week, we were going to be this weekend over. Uh, in the the new campus, kicking off a series there, and God changed our plans for for his reason and last night in our service here at Silverado, we had six people profess faith in Jesus Christ, so maybe that 's the very reason that, that God left us here to see those people come to faith in Christ. but um, we wanted to, we, we really sought the Lord this week. what do we do this week god you 've given us this this weekend that we weren 't anticipating? Where do you want us to be teaching? How do you want us to to lead our church family? And we begin to think about all the series, the 23 series that we've walked through since we've been here as a church family at Silverado. And over these 23 series, here's our prayer. That those are more than just moments of inspiration in a weekend. But that those are experiences of transformation that lead to deep, lasting change in our lives. If you come to Hope, just to get a weekend pick-me-up. Something to just lift my spirits for the weekend. You've missed the whole reason we unpack the Word of God. We do not unpack the Scripture just to inspire. Our responsibility as pastors... Listen, our opinions, our ideas, and our philosophies are irrelevant. Our responsibility is to teach the Word of God because through the Word of God, God brings radical transformation into our lives that is lasting and ongoing. So we're going to take just a few minutes... And there's no way this morning we can go back and look at 23 different series. But we're going to pull a few of the key series. And, and just some of those deep truths that God taught us as a church family. We're just going to kind of remind us of those truths. So that as we take this next step, those continue to have lasting impact in our life. For example, we, we, one of the major sections of scripture that we walked through as a church family here at Silverado. Was the Sermon on the Mount. What a blessing, five, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. We spent over a year just walking through those three chapters. One of the, the, we, we noted it to be the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus preached it in an afternoon. We spent a year and two months unpacking it, right? Because in that text of Scripture, what Jesus did was He, he poured out for us what the Christian life is supposed to look like. We, we opened that with a series called Be Happy. How many of you remember the, the Be Happy series? We unpacked the Beatitudes, and we walked through those little simple statements that take up just a little line and a half in the Bible, but they are like dynamite in your spiritual life. What they begin to describe, the way we, we said it was this, they were declarations of a radical way of life made possible in Christ, resulting in real, unshakable happiness. What Jesus began to do in the Beatitudes, and then he continued throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, was he began to invite us into a radical way of life. Not just uh, a Christianity that's a religion of attending some things on a weekend, but a radical expression of his very life in and through us. And as you read the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew 5 all the way to Matthew 7, There is some radical statements that Jesus makes in that text of Scripture. He begins to describe a way of life that we begin to understand as kingdom living. What it is to live out the principles of the kingdom of God. And we summarized that entire series with two statements. And here's the first one. Kingdom living begins in following Christ. Kingdom living begins with following Christ. Every person that has a relationship with God has a moment in their life when that relationship began. There's a beginning. Have you ever asked somebody, when did you become a Christian? And their response was, oh, I've always been a Christian. You ever heard that? Well, can I let you in on a secret this morning? That's not possible. (laughs) Nobody's always been a Christian. Let me show you what the Bible says in John chapter 3 when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, what? Born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Every person that is a follower of Jesus Christ has a moment in their life when that relationship with Jesus Christ began. A point when under the conviction of their sin by the Holy Spirit of God... We respond in repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and surrender our lives to the lordship of Jesus. I I was raised in a Christian family. And I know that's what some people mean when they say I've always been a Christian. My, My mom and dad were Christians. First generation Christians. My grandparents were not Christians until later in life. But my mom and dad were Christians when I was born. I've I've been in church since nine months before I was born. I've just always been in church. I've always been there. It's been a part of my life. But it wasn't until I was a freshman in college that God convicted me of my sin. I responded in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ and began a personal relationship with God. And if you're going to be a part of following Christ, if you're going to enjoy this kingdom life that Christ teaches us... It begins in a moment of surrender when you're born again into relationship with God. But the second reality of the kingdom is that kingdom living constantly pursues His life in me. You see, Christianity is not just believing the gospel and then going to heaven when you die. There's this life that God has called us to. And listen, it's not you... Trying to live the Christian life. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. Kingdom living. Is not. You trying to live the Christian life. Kingdom living. Is you allowing Christ. To live his life through you. Out of the overflow. Of intimate fellowship with God. A lot of times people ask the question, how do I I know that I've surrendered my life to Christ? Let me tell you how you know. Not by going back 20 years and trying to remember an experience that happened in the past. The evidence, the real evidence of salvation in my life is not a past experience. It's a present relationship. Yes, there needs to be that moment of being born again. But you know what the evidence is that that was real and genuine in my life? That there's an ongoing relationship in my life today that's vibrant, growing, and evident. Am I living out of the overflow of intimacy with God? Listen, today, if you think because you pray to prayer and you go to church, you're all good, you've missed the essence of what following Christ is all about. It's a radical surrender of your life that begins a relationship where you live the rest of your life out of the overflow of intimacy. With God.
1: There's really nothing more important. That we could really talk about this morning. That's, that's more critical to every person in the room. Than us having a relationship with God. And our pursuit of knowing Jesus. There's nothing more important for that for any person. And so those two statements that Vance just made are significant. And I want to ask you just a couple of evaluation questions. So that we can move from just a sermon or a series we did a long time ago to really evaluate, are those things true for me today? Here's the first kind of application question. Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus? Has there ever been that time for you? I'm not asking you this morning, do you attend church? I'm not asking, are you a moral person? I'm not asking, are you trying your best to do good? I'm asking you, has there ever been a moment when you recognized your, your, your mistakes and your sinful nature, and you realized that the only hope that you have is Jesus? I remember as a young child, hearing the gospel, and honestly being overwhelmed, By the reality that I was spiritually dead and I was separated from a relationship with God. It was overwhelming for me to realize that I had no hope of eternal life or access to God apart from the grace and the life of Jesus. I remember being overwhelmed by my lostness. But then I remember also being overwhelmed by the grace of God that is extended to humanity. Even though we don't deserve it and we could never earn it. The message of Jesus is this. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. I would imagine, just like last night, there are some people in the room. And you've been putting it off, and putting it off, and putting it off. And you know, you know in your heart that God's working on you. You know He's been drawing you to, your, to Himself. And you've just been saying, you know what, I'm going to do it later. I'm going to do it later. I'm going to do it later. Let me challenge you. Let this morning be your morning. When you decide, you know what, I'm going to quit playing a game. I'm going to quit worrying about what other people think. I'm going to begin to follow after Jesus. And it's very simple how that can happen. The Bible's very clear. We need to recognize that we're sinful and that we're broken. That Jesus came to the earth. He lived a sinless life and died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And then he was raised to life on the third day, showing that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. And he gave all authority to Jesus to save people as they put their faith in him. That's the glorious message of the Bible. That's the gospel. But has there ever been that time for you where you've asked Christ to come into your life? I want to invite you right now, in the middle of this sermon, to bow your head and to close your eyes very quickly. And I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your journey, growing up in school, then on to getting a job, maybe getting married, having children moving on in your career, throughout that journey, has there ever been that moment for you when you decided to become a Jesus follower? Where you honestly recognized your sin before God, you put your faith in the work and life of Jesus, and you know you began a relationship with Him. If you've never done that, I want to lead you right now in a simple prayer. That you can cry out to God. It's not the prayer that saves you. You're not saying this to me. You're not saying this to the people around you. You are saying this to the God of heaven. If you're serious. If you want to begin following Jesus this morning. Say this in your heart to God. Say, dear God. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize I have fallen short of your standard. And I need you to save me. I put my faith in Jesus. I believe he came, he died, and he was raised to life. Please rescue me, Jesus. I choose to follow you. Thank you for this new relationship. If in your heart you prayed that and you were serious and you confessed that to God, you have new life in Him. And because Pastor Vance and I would love just to pray for you very quickly, would you do us the honor, everybody's head is bowed, we would never embarrass you, but if you're here this morning and you just began following Christ, would you let us know that by just very quickly slipping up your hand and putting it back down? Anybody here this morning, Who cried out to God and began following Jesus this morning. Just slip your hand up and put it back down. We want to pray for you today. Anyone in the room? Anyone in the room? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, we thank you for rescue. God, thank you that when we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Thank you for these who have made a decision today, God. Thank you for their new relationship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we just let these people know how excited we are for them? Hey, if you're here this morning and you made a decision, we want to talk to you because you just began the journey of a lifetime. So on your connection card that was attached to the card you, you received when you came in, there's a simple box that says today... I began a relationship with Jesus. Would you check that box for us? Because we have a team that wants to follow up with you. And they just want to talk to you about your new relationship with God. We are so excited that you have joined God's family this morning. Well, there's another question of application that really applies for us as believers out of the two statements that Vance mentioned. He said, Kingdom living begins with following Christ, but kingdom living constantly pursues His life in me. So for the believers here this morning, here's the real question. Is knowing Jesus the ultimate pursuit of your life? Honestly. Above money, above your career, above status, above any other relationship, can you honestly say this morning that knowing Jesus is the ultimate passion, the ultimate pursuit of your life? A series we did in the Sermon on the Mount, along with Be Happy and several others, was a series called The Real Thing. And in that series, we talked about the tendency we have as humans to put on a mask. And to act like everything's okay, and the house is good, and the family's good, and life is good. But internally, we know it's not that good. And we are pretending to be something that we're really not. I want to challenge you. To be authentic followers of Jesus. And here's where that starts. Not by performing. Not by trying harder. Not by learning all the worship songs or the Christian jargon. It starts by pursuing the very life of Jesus that is in you. And trusting that He's promised us. That as we do that, as we know Him. He will press His very life out through us. Another series we want to highlight. It's a series we did called, In God We Trust. We really map out our teaching series at Hope. About a year ahead, we know what we're teaching through the rest of the year. And in January of 2010, we had a plan. But we recognized something about our city and about our country. We were hurting because of the economy. I mean, it hit all of us in different ways, but we've all been impacted. And so we decided to take two weeks and really talk about what does it really mean to trust god and we framed it around one of the statements that is found on all currency that is in the united states in god we trust and here's what we wrestled with in that series do we really do we really trust him I mean, if God, according to Scripture, is all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's all-wise, do we, as His followers, really trust the God of heaven with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure? And we looked at some principles that taught us, as we honor Him, as we trust Him with everything, He promises to always take care of us. And we really framed a statement that I want to put up on the screen and read for you again because it's a powerful statement that I know even today still has impact on my life. Here's the statement. We said, I am to trust God with everything in my life by honoring Him with what He has given to me and He promises to always satisfy me with enough. You know, that's a great statement. But I want to give you a a quick real-life example of someone who saw this statement flesh out for them in a real way. During that series, we recorded several testimonies of people who had seen this come to life. So I want you to watch this short video of Andy Milligan.
2: Hi, my name is Andy. I'm to trust God with everything in my life by honoring Him with what He's given to me, and He promises to always satisfy me with enough. 2009 was a really interesting year for our family. Uh, At late 2008, uh, God had laid it on our hearts to start a nutrition program in Africa to help feed malnourished kids. And so I was doing that while I was working full-time, and uh, in January of 2009, I found out, uh, like a lot of people did last year, that my job was actually being eliminated. And I had a couple options, one of which was to find another job uh, with a company that I worked for, a huge uh, technical uh, IT company. And uh, my wife and I uh, just really felt like God was calling us to work full time on that uh, malnutrition project. and so. Uh, it was really interesting we uh, over the last few years had seen some of our investments you know really pay off and some of them just go up and smoke and so it it, what that essentially boiled down to is that when we said yes to God to do this full-time our bank account was basically at zero I got a letter the uh, the other week that that really kinda blew me away I opened it up It was my 401k letter uh, for the last year and if you look starting uh, at January 1st, 2009 to December 31st, 2009. My starting balance was just over uh, $15,000 and my ending balance was uh, uh, just over $14,000. So I was down about $1,500 for the year, which you know, really is not bad considering 2009 was one of the worst years ever. Uh, and as I'm reading this letter, I thought, wait a second, we took money out. And I went and I looked and I was like, how much did we take out? And when I looked, I saw, got it. A- allowed us to take out over $13,000 to pay for our bills. And uh, I called my wife over and I, I said, um, you know, that's a miracle. I I don't care who you are, I think I did the math and it was just over a 90% return. And, you know, $13,000 isn't a million dollars, but it was exactly what we needed. Uh, over the last year to pay our bills and meet our obligations. I can honestly say over the last year that God has just been incredibly faithful to my family uh, and has given us exactly what we need, and he supplied us with enough.
0: And many of you now know the rest of the story, right? The Milligan family are our missionaries in Southern Africa now. They live there, and they're establishing that uh, program to feed malnourished children under the, under the umbrella of Operation Mobilization. What a blessing to be able to stand with them. But what's, what's so powerful is Andy and Amy's testimony is not just the unique testimony of one family in our church, but it's literally the testimony of our church. Think about it. In the middle of the most difficult economy in 50 years in America, in one of the worst cities impacted, as a church family, we didn't just maintain We've been able to take an incredible step forward, and we're about next weekend to move into a brand new campus. That is only a miracle of the Lord, and shame on us if we don't honor and recognize and praise Him for what He's done in providing for us in this most difficult time. So we we celebrate all that God did, and I want you to know today, everything that God's done in and through our fellowship, He's done through your generosity, We don't have outside sources of income that that give us resources to do what we do here at Hope. Every ministry that we maintain, every partnership that we have locally and globally, every life that has changed, God does it through the generosity of the people in this fellowship. As you give, you're making a difference in the world. So, first of all, let me thank you. Thank you for being a church that gets it. Thank you for being a church that understands it is bigger than us. It is not just about meeting our needs. It is about God's activity in the world and our responsibility and privilege to join in what God's doing globally on this planet. So thank you. For those of you who give generously and who are participating in that way, thank you so much for your heart and your passion. But let me say something. Some of you are new to our fellowship and some are still sitting on the sidelines. And I want to encourage you. When it comes to this principle of generosity and giving, hey, the people sitting around you have made it possible for you to enjoy what you enjoy in the ministry of this church. And we have a responsibility together to invest and to live generously as we take this next step as a church family. We've not arrived. This is not a finish line. We're continuing to join in what God's doing. It's a launching pad. It's a launching pad. There's one last um, series that we want to touch on just briefly. And it's one that that was very significant, again, in the life of our church. There's so many of these we could have pulled from. But the other one that we want to touch on is called Missional Communities. We did a series just over a year ago that really was born out of a burden that God gave our pastoral team over two years ago. As we were in the process of making this transition to a new location, here's what we knew. We did not want to be just a big event on the weekend. God did not call us to host big events. God called us for one mission, and that is to make disciples. The mission given to the New Testament church is to make disciples. So we begin to wrestle with some questions. For example, we ask the question, If we become so busy with our dreams, our plans, our programs, our needs, and our ideas of what the church is to be, that we may have missed the very essence of God's real desire for us. I began to, to struggle in my own heart internally as a pastor about who we were and where we were headed. When we get to heaven, the last thing Jesus said on earth in Matthew chapter 28 is go make disciples of all the nations. I believe when he returns, the first question he's going to have for us is about, hey, how would you do with that making disciples thing? How did, how did that work out? So we want to, he's not going to care about our buildings. He's not going to care about our budget. He's not going to care about how many people attend our services. Now, we people like to talk about that kind of stuff, but that's not the heart of the Father. He's establishing his kingdom on this earth. He's expanding it to the ends of the earth, reaching people with the gospel. And he's called us to be a part of that by making disciples and sending them out to the ends of the earth. So we ask a couple of hard questions. What is a disciple? If we're going to make them, we need to know what it is. And typically disciples are defined in churches by what a person does or by what a person knows. Do they go to church, read their Bible, pray every day, give some money, go on a mission trip? Or can they answer all the theological questions? Do they have all the mantras? Can they say everything just right? Can they dot every I and cross every T? And once they've finished all these classes, now they're a disciple. Or once they have all the routine down, now they're a disciple. But we begin to understand that, that discipleship is, is much more than that. Uh, being a disciple is about a relationship with God. I'm not saying what we do and what we believe is not important. It's very important. But if it flows out of the wrong heart motive, it's useless. Matter of fact, Jesus' biggest opponent in the New Testament were those that could say all the right things and do all the right things, and they knew most of the right truth. But they nailed Him to a cross. They missed the very essence of the gospel. And so we, we needed to understand, and we, we spent some time talking about what a disciple is. And then we answered the question, how do we make disciples? And we begin to examine the example of the New Testament church in the book of Acts and how they made disciples through, yes, gathering in large groups, but also the dynamic of small group. And we believe that life change happens in community, that real life change happens. And here's the definition of community. It's sharing in the mission of Jesus by sharing life with others. And as we begin to interact as brothers and sisters in Christ and live out in community, which it's interesting, the New Testament knows nothing of Christianity without community. And yet we've let Western individualism creep into our brand of Christianity in North America where Christianity is about me, it's what I'm going to get out of the sermon, it's about what the church can do for me, it's about God doing something in my life. The New Testament knows nothing of an individualistic Christianity. It's Christianity in the context of community, life on life, principles of Scripture, bringing life change where we interact around the truth of God's Word together. And out of that, we carry out the mission of the gospel in our city and the nations of the earth. So we began to look at our fellowship. And our fellowship was one that, even as as short as a year ago, we had 30 small groups in our church. A year ago, we had 1,500, 1,600 people attending each weekend. But we had 300 people in groups. And we just knew, if we're going to take this next step, and there'll be new people coming the door... If we don't address this now, if we don't begin to deal with this now, we will not make disciples when we take this next step. We had a responsibility, so we began to look some at some changes that we could make, and we began to place a a strong emphasis on your connection in small groups. And what we've seen God do over the last year has been miraculous. Over the last year, we've seen our church go from thirty small groups to over one hundred and twenty small groups, and over thirty zip codes around Las Vegas. We now have over seventeen hundred adults. Uh, and students connected in small groups. Over almost just under a thousand of them regularly attending and participating in that connection in small group where the Word of God is being taught. What we're doing in the weekend being taken deeper in those groups, those people studying through books of the Bible. They're they're coming together around the Word of God, seeing God do things in each other's lives and they're carrying out the mission in our city. We just prayer walked a hundred quadrants three miles around our new campus. How would we do that? through groups, going and engaging those communities and praying and inviting and reaching out and putting their arms around them. So we've begun to move from being a church with some groups to being a church of groups. And we believe that's very, very important as we take this next step together as a church. And I believe it's so important, I'll say it to you this way. If you only got one hour a week to give us, Give it to your group. Now, we want you to come. We believe the large group gathering is important. But let me tell you what you can do in the large group gathering. You can hide. You can coast in here. You can sing a few songs. You can coast out. And you cannot experience life change. You cannot apply the principles of Scripture to your life. You can be a, you can be a show. Let me tell you where you can't do that. In a group of ten people in a house. <laughs> Where they're in your your life. Where you're doing life together. We believe in this principle of groups and community. So as we this morning tried to take a look back. Those are just a few of the key lessons that God's done in our lives here at Silverado. And may they not just be some series we went through. May they be life change. As we move forward in this next step of transition. And, and Travis and I talked this week and prayed. How do we, how do we bring this to a close? How do, we, how do we take this step of transition? And here's what we want to do. We spent some time this week. And we've, we've crafted. We've written in our hearts before the Lord a prayer. It's a prayer that we're going to ask our entire church family to pray together. So I'm going to ask our worship team to go ahead and come, and after we pray this prayer together, we're going to sing a song of worship to God, and then we'll receive our offering and close our service. But I want us to to pray this together, we're going to do something a little bit different for us, all right? It'll be a little uncomfortable for you, but that's all right. I want you to all stand with me, and I want you to just join hands all the way across the aisle. Just join hands together. You say, I don't know the person next to me. That's all right. They don't have cooties. You all right? (laughs) And we're going to voice this prayer together as a family of faith as we take this step. So I want you to read it with me off the screen as I read it here. All right? You ready? Here we go. Our great God and Father, we acknowledge our desperate need for you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Through you, all things are possible. We are abundantly grateful for the faithfulness you have shown us as a fellowship. You are so good and you are worthy of all our worship. As we take this next step on the journey, we acknowledge that we have not arrived. Today, we make a fresh surrender to you and your mission. Draw us near to You daily and deepen our intimate knowledge of You. Strengthen our love for one another as we pursue life-changing community and break our hearts for others in Las Vegas and throughout the world. Through Your life in us, we press on for Your glory. Amen.